0: What's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Thank you guys so much for listening. Today, we have an interview with a new friend of mine, Helen Taylor. She is the vice president of Impact for Exodus Cry. Now, you may have heard of Exodus Cry in the last couple of years. They've been making some major splashes on mainstream media, specifically around um, human trafficking, sex trafficking, inappropriate content on some of the world's biggest porn sites, and really, they are on this mission to abolish sex trafficking at large. They recently have a couple campaigns and movements that are advocating for better proof of age verification on porn websites to protect kids. I mean, they are front lines, cutting edge, awe-inspiring people who are on this really powerful mission that is literally changing the world. They, they are making a difference all across the globe, some of the institutions, some of uh, some of the legislation, and uh, actually a bunch of lawsuits have have been filed against porn websites all because of the work these guys are doing. So I leapt at the opportunity to have her on here. And in this interview, we talked a little bit about some of these things I just mentioned, like why are they so passionate about this and what's actually going on behind the scenes? What are some of the movements and campaigns that are going on? And it's really, really fascinating. But we actually started by talking about the link between porn and sex trafficking. And now even if you watch a little bit of porn and you may maybe have justified your consumption by saying, well, at least I'm not buying sex. At least I'm not You know, paying for it, at least I'm not doing something that's maybe more extreme, or at least I'm not watching violent content online like other people. You know, it's so easy to sort of say, well, at least I'm not as bad as so and so. And Helen basically explains why that kind of thinking is totally flawed and why even just the slight viewership of pornography. Fuels sex trafficking. She talked about four different ways that this takes place. It's really eye opening, and I would encourage you listen from beginning to the end because I think all of us, even myself, somebody who's not watching porn anymore, it's it's important. All of us are aware of just how damaging and devastating this is to society, to uh, children, and to the women uh, all around the world. And oh, man, it just some of the stuff she shared was really. Uh, heart-wrenching. And so if you're struggling with porn, uh, maybe this will add a bit of fuel to your fire uh, to get free. And if you're free of porn, I think this is going to just enhance your understanding of the the toxicity of porn and the detriments it has on our society. So without further ado, this is my interview with Helen Taylor, Vice President of Exodus Cry. So here's the million-dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose, supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam, welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Okay, well, I'm here with Helen Taylor, VP of Exodus Cry. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within, Helen.
1: Thank you. It's it's really great to be here and once again talking across uh, two different nations right now and I just love that we can have these important conversations and really looking forward to, to chatting with you about some stuff.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to pick your brain. You have so much wisdom, so much knowledge and... You, I would consider you and everything that you're doing with Exodus Cry and just the whole organization to be front lines. I feel like uh, what I do, helping guys get free of porn, is very much on the back end. Um, It's kind of the byproduct of a lot of poor decisions, but. I feel like the, the further and, and the faster you guys go, the better so that I can be out of work one day, you know, and that people aren't, aren't caught up in these addictions and aren't really caught up in this industry at all. So we're going to get into all of it. But I guess as a starting point, Helen, can you just share with us uh, why, why did you get into this line of work? Why are you so passionate about the work you do around sex trafficking?
1: Yeah, well, I, I've been doing this work for about 13 years. Um, I, I got started early, and um, while I was at university, um, I actually heard the guy who is now my my boss. I, I never thought that this would be a full circle situation, but I heard him um, sharing about um, the issue of trafficking um, on a meeting over the internet, and he was specifically talking about Cambodia and child trafficking. And I just had a very um, just a very significant heart encounter where i couldn't stop crying about it for several hours and i felt like um my heart had just completely broken and so i just um kind of said to god like if you ever open a door for me to do anything with this issue or cambodia i will walk through it Um, and in the meantime i tried to find some books Uh, this is like back in 2007 not a lot of people talking about sex trafficking Hmm. Um, but i was able to find a couple of books online um, and then not long after that, a very like my mum bumped into a friend who told us she was moving to Cambodia to work with victims of trafficking, and she came over for dinner. And I just, you know, had that sense of um, I have to contact this organisation and see if I can spend the summer there. Um, and I, I practically begged them. I was like, I'll do anything. I'll serve in any way. Um, I'll, I'll pray. I'll clean the toilets. i I have a few skills that I can help with. But I was very aware that I was even going on that trip. Um, to learn and uh, I ended up moving back to Cambodia after university and worked as an art therapist with that population but even while I was in restoration and working with women who were already in a fantastic program my heart was so drawn to those still in the sex industry the girls who were still being exploited at the brothels that I would see um, day in day out around the corner from my house and so I would um, go and talk to them and sit with them and tell them about our program and just my heart was always really connected to, to outreach. Um, and so I spent, um, it's a bit of a cool long story of how I ended up working at Exodus Cry, which I won't get into the details of that, um, but I began working with them nine years ago and uh, was the director of outreach for many years. And I think the longer that you work with survivors, uh, with victims of trafficking, the more passionate you are about prevention, going after demand. Um, and I've actually, I, I think once you've been in in your... you're you're calling for a a few years, you began to look back further and connect some dots in your childhood and adolescence. And um, I remember that when I was about 11 years old, when I would go shopping in London with my dad, I'm from London, um, every time we would pass one of those red telephone boxes um, that had postcards advertising women in prostitution, my um, my dad just felt so strongly that women should not be sold like a pizza, advertised like a pizza in a telephone box. And he would go is, in. Is that normal
0: talk. in London? I'm sorry to cut you off, but is that normal in London? Like to ha- just have them in the phone booths?
1: No, yeah, unfortunately. Wow. Yeah, even every time I go back, I still see them and I still take, those down, take them down. Um, yeah, not in cool. every part of London, um, certain pockets that are historically a little bit more um, closely connected geographically to the sex industry. Okay. Um, but his perspective was if there's something in front of you that you can do, even if it's small, it's important to do it. And if I, he was like, if I can stop even one sex buyer from making that call, it's important and worth it. Um, But we want to prevent any woman from even being in that situation. Um, So I just feel like it's something that called me. I didn't even, um, you know, I've said yes at every stage along this way, but there's nothing on the planet. I'm more passionate about the injustice of sex trafficking, the way that it ravages the image of God in men and women. and we, our whole goal actually tries to abolish sex trafficking. And so what in the next 10 or 20 years, what is that going to take? And so we're very interested in what is the root of trafficking, um, looking at demand. And I feel like the whole issue of pornography is really kind of the root of the root. Um, and so anyway, that, that's a little snapshot in how I got into it. Obviously, that's 13 years of history <laughs> comprised. But it's the honor and joy of my life um, to serve in this way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you did a good job compressing all of that. Uh, I guess the one thing I want to ask is why, what is it that broke your heart all those years ago in in 07 when you had that encounter? Was it, was it just to think that people could be treated this way? Um, did you have a passion for it before? And then this is just kind of what ignited it. I guess I'm just curious what, what happened that stirred it so severely that you were willing to do anything to be a part of it?
1: Yeah. Um, so there was another moment that I didn't even mention, but in between First finding out what prostitution was, age 11 and 12, through those telephone boxes and hearing about sex trafficking in Cambodia at college. And that was the first time that term sex trafficking had ever, I'd ever heard of it. Um, when I was 16, I was uh, walking in London and I actually took a wrong turn. It ended up in this alleyway and there was, um, I found myself in a little pocket of a, a sort of red light district area in London. And there were peep shows and a couple of strip clubs and adult bookstores and um, some brothels. And there was this woman in a red dress. She looked Eastern European and she was just standing there. And the reality of knowing that um, how vulnerable she was and that she was in prostitution, I just felt I felt so much anger because I immediately understood the inequality and injustice of her situation. I, I didn't even mm. know the possibilities of exploitation and coercion that she could have been trafficked. I just immediately understood any man who is a sex buyer, they have the power, the agency, the choice. They have the money in their pocket. They are dictating a sexual experience. They're purchasing her sexual consent. Like at its fundamental core, prostitution is sex between someone who wants the sex and someone who doesn't. And the person who wants the sex, what they actually want is a power dynamic. They could be on dating websites or or apps, but they are wanting to purchase Um, a sex slave experience where they are in control, they are accessing, renting a person's body um, to be in complete control sexually. Um, And it's a very dehumanizing experience for both parties. And I just immediately, you know, a lot of people say, well, is she a trafficking victim or is she there by choice? And in that moment, when I was face to face with a woman in that situation, I immediately just realized she is a vulnerable person. Um, if, If there were other options before her, is this what she would really choose? Um, whereas the person with the money, um, they, they're they paying to, to silence her and purchasing her consent. Like, that is problematic. And so just that I felt really angry. Like, no woman in my day and age, in our world, should ever be in that situation. Society is failing women if we ever let this be the case. Like, what is going on? I just felt so upset and I wanted to buy her a rose and give her some token of her humanity and beauty and I couldn't find a florist but I just think at, at the heart of this is um you know when, when, when God calls people shares his heart often it's his His anger um about an injustice or an impression of a people group um or an area that he then invites his friends into partnering with him and being the solution and being the change being bringing the healing bringing the truth bringing the, the solutions and so um I, it, I'm i very aware that um, there's so many intersections with prostitution uh, related to, to poverty and, um, and war and all other forms of inequality, True. but this is an area that I feel like n- nothing makes me more angry or more passionate than this topic, um, and I think that's kind of when you know you're, you're called to fight something.
0: Big time. Yeah, and I mean, here you are 13, 14, 15 years later. And, um, and it's amazing what you've been able to accomplish and what Exodus Cry is really on the front lines of. I, I want to get into the link between sex trafficking and porn, but I feel like before we do that, maybe we just need to get a little bit more granular and define what is sex trafficking? Is it like, is it the massage parlors and prostitution? And, um, you know, I-, I don't know, like, I know there's so many facets to this. And I just want to make sure that part's clear before we start talking about it more in depth. Yeah, no, That's a
1: really great question. And I'm glad you asked um, a lot of people. About sex trafficking, and they have a very sort of narrow idea of what it is. It's involving, um, you know, like a, possibly a kidnapping, and someone is physically um, held as a, a sex slave. Um, there's chains, there's ropes, there's tape like the images in the media that have kind of sensationalized what sex trafficking is. It's the movie Chosen, um, and I think that. It's actually only a very small percentage of trafficking victims that have that experience. And so mm. legally, any person under the age of 18 in the sex industry is automatically classified as a victim of trafficking because they're a child, they cannot consent to it. Um, or an adult where there is evidence of fraud, force or coercion. And mm. the physical force is the aspect of trafficking that makes sense to most people. Okay, But I think that majority of traffickers know that it's far more effective to psychologically groom someone into being your slave because then they won't escape, they won't leave. They think that this is what they deserve. They're bound by invisible chains of fear and um, lies about their self-worth. And so um, the coercion and fraud piece is much more prevalent around, around sex trafficking. I see sex trafficking as one kind of legally defined pathway into prostitution. For me, the entire system of prostitution is a system of inequality um, and, and and violence, systemic violence against women. Um, mm. It's mostly women or people who identify as female um, who are prostituted. Um, 99.9999% of all sex buyers are men, um, and this is a heartbreaking reality. I, and I have been I've done outreach in red light districts in about ten countries and have uh, the the men who are walking around these red light districts um, are like zombies. They have their eyes glazed. They are seeing women um, uh, in the most commodifying, objectifying ways. And I've seen them may- say things and, and behave in ways that have deeply disturbed me. And so I, I hate what this industry does to men and women. Um, it really dehumanizes them. And um, yeah, but I, I think that that's our position at Exeter's Cry, that, that prostitution in a systemic way is a system of violence. Um, I dream of a world where prostitution doesn't have to be an option for anyone. Um, yeah. And I think buyers need to be held accountable. Um, I would like sex, the purchase of sex to be a felony level offense and um, ch- pimps and traffickers charged and convicted to the full extent of the law. But yeah. I believe in decriminalising every person sold in prostitution, because I think it's important that we understand them as um, more akin to domestic violence victims. Um, Arresting someone for prostitution, giving them a criminal record, actually prevents them from getting out of this life. Um, And many women, even if we meet them as an adult in the sex industry, they are, they were often um, in prostitution as a minor. So suddenly on their 18th birthday, they went from being a sex trafficking victim to a willing person in prostitution, um, I think that's a really awful perspective. But I mean, this is a whole podcast for another time around <laughs> the laws. But um, yeah. for any of your viewers who have never even really thought about this, the, the legislation that we most recommend is um, the Nordic model or the equality model. It's passed in eight countries, began in Sweden 20 years ago. And it has that same legislation that I just described, decriminalizing people in prostitution, heavily criminalizing um, the, the buyers and the pimps and holding them accountable um, for exploitation.
0: Wow, okay, That's yeah, so there's there's a lot going on there and I think that that gives some perspective that this is not, like you're saying, like what we see in mainstream media is really the tip of the iceberg here. There's so much more to it. And the other thing that I thought was interesting that you said, Helen, is that a lot of the guys are there because of a need for power control or things along those lines and it really, um, it gets me because a lot of our, not a lot of our clients, a percentage of our clients have have fueled sex trafficking. You know, they, they bought sex, they paid for it, and they've always said to me, like, I never thought I would do that. Like, they never intended to, but they had these, you know, whatever it was, fundamental issues in their hearts that, that didn't get addressed. And one thing leads to another, and they're, they're in these places um, that are really uh, quite toxic, you know, both to themselves, but obviously uh, to the women that are involved as well. That is, I think, again, a very small facet of the link between sex trafficking and porn. And I'm wondering if you can comment on that, because I know um, even with this subject, it often gets sort of uh, marginalized when really there's a, a few different facets that, that you guys cover. Can you just explain the link a little bit there?
1: Yeah, definitely. I, um, I first just want to say that I love that you're delving into all the different aspects related to porn addiction and how it affects different people in different ways and that this is such an important part of the conversation. Um, I remember the very first time I made the connection between porn and trafficking was when I was living in Cambodia, interviewing a survivor, and she told me that um, she'd been trafficked from the age of 11 um, from a rural village into the city, and while she was being trafficked and exploited in this brothel, she told me that Western men um, showed her pornography on their phones and um, tablets and got her to reenact exactly what was in those videos. Wow. Um, And I think of how um, Pornhub statistics from a couple of years ago in the top 10 um, most searched for keywords that they publicly released within that top 10, the number one was Japanese. And I think it was number five was Asian and six was Korean or the other way around. Um, And I just think, I remember thinking at that point, like guys in Europe, Australia, the States, where we were seeing a lot of these sex buyers um, in the red light district, they don't just wake up one day and decide, "Oh, I'm going to fly halfway across the world, purchase sex with a traffic girl." Like, there's a journey there, and the fantasy of um, sex with a an Asian girl or sex with a um, a girl in a schoolgirl outfit or whatever the fantasy may be, um, it can often get to a point where um, just watching that fantasy is no longer enough, and they want to actually carry out that fantasy.
0: Right. Um,
1: when I a few years ago I, I spoke to um, some people about this issue and I had a young man come up to me afterwards telling me that he'd found the talk really difficult to to sit through because he used to purchase women in prostitution and um, out of a severe porn addiction and he said, I know women that I bought didn't want to be there. Um but I've never told anyone this before and I've kind of been in denial but the shame that I feel right now is so overwhelming and I know I have contributed to human trafficking by by purchasing people and I didn't care at the time. Like I even if I thought she was being trafficked, it didn't stop me from paying that money. Like I had a one-track mind in those moments.
0: Yeah. And
1: he, he asked me to pray for God's mercy. Um anyway, that's it was a really powerful story. But um I think that in recent years there has been a an opening of this conversation of like demand. Pornography being connected to sex trafficking. And the first obvious way I showcased in those two stories I just explained of um, pornography, addiction um, leads to demand for sex. Demand for sex leads to an increase in sex trafficking. The the more demand, the more the supply. There's never enough willing girls who will enter prostitution of their own accord. So traffickers, that's why trafficking exists. Um, Why else would uh, traffickers coerce and kidnap women into this if, if there were enough women who willingly wanted to go into We all know that there aren't, um, and so I think um, for people who, you know, a lot of people who watch porn are like, well, I, you know, I'm not a sex buyer, that's a line I would never cross. Um, but many sex buyers that we interviewed said that they never thought that they would cross that line, but sometimes that the fantasy just builds and builds, and they're like, this is something my wife or girlfriend would never do. I know that I can pay someone at who will hundred percent do it. Yeah. Um, the majority of sex buyers are married or have long-term sexual partners. And so we know that sex buyers aren't just people without um, any access to sex. It's actually people that do have access to sex. Um, and what they're purchasing is a pornographic experience. The things that they're seeing in porn, wow. that they know their wife or girlfriend um, would not agree to or boyfriend. I mean, um, the majority of buyers are, are male, but we know that um, there's boys who are also trafficked as well. And um, it's 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 been really disturbing hearing from survivors that even in the last ten years, because of how violent and deviant pornography has become and access widely accessible, the things that trafficking victims or women in prostitution are being asked to do are very deeply inspired by pornography and are much more violent and even Painful and dangerous than they were ten years ago. Um, so that I think for people to realise that that a trajectory of someone who gives themselves over to porn addiction and again and again, that is the starting point for every sex buyer. Um, and so by cutting this out of your life and really violently um, choosing to take control over this addiction and get the help and freedom you need, you are um, you are very much taking control of the potential trajectory of your life. Um, and so that is kind of one of the main ways that trafficking and, um, and demand and porn use are linked. Uh, two of the other main ways, of course, are related to the porno- pornography industry and pornography distribution. So the way right. that women are brought into the porn industry and the way that pornography um, is distributed to the public. Um, I assume you tracked with some of our campaign trafficking hub did you very much so
0: that? yes yeah. trafficking hub watch raised on porn the documentary i know you guys are putting making a big push for consent and all that so yes following all of it
1: yes and i think so just going back to the, the district porn distribution most people don't realize that a lot of the porn tube sites operate like youtube where it's mostly homemade videos that are uploaded it's a smaller percentage on most porn sites that are even shot in studios. Hmm. And so, take a website like Pornhub. Two years ago, Pornhub had been like, had branded themselves in such a mainstream way. They were partnering with New York Fashion Week. They had um, all kinds of, you know, Saturday Night Live was doing um, promotions and commercials for them. They had billboards in Times Square. Um, they had wow. celebrities making jokes about them in interviews, like. Pornhub had successfully established themselves as a mainstream pornographic brand, more than any other website, I think. Um, And what we kind of basically uncovered was the only thing you needed to upload a video to Pornhub was an email address. And so connect the dots with that. If if you only need an email address, how is this website verifying the age or consent of the uploaders or people in the videos? They weren't. And so we wrote an op-ed about this, we started a petition to hold Pornhub accountable. It went super viral, had over 2 million signatures. We made this short animated video that had 34 million views. Um, it, it blew up uh, partly because um, survivors around that time began speaking out um, and being interviewed in the media saying, yes, I was an underage victim. I was on Pornhub. I was a victim of rape and that video, that rape was recorded and the rapist put it on Pornhub. Um, wow. All types of non-consensual content, like um, women and girlfriends who were victims of revenge porn, people who had their information doxxed or hacked. Um, but the, the testimony of like, you know, girls who were 13 or 14 years old when videos of them were put on Pornhub, and they often asked Pornhub, like, pleaded with Pornhub to take those videos down, and Pornhub ignored them. So anyway, we began uncovering. We had whistleblowers. Uh, former moderators at Pornhub come to us and um, it really became what became, began as a campaign became an entire like global movement the trafficking hub movement hmm. and at the end of the year end of 2020 it was on the front page of the New York Times um Nick Christophe did this incredible piece called the children of Pornhub which you should read if, if anyone hasn't
0: yeah um, it was really well done
1: it really I mean a lot of people I've talked to even around the world have, are all aware of what happened in with Pornhub because it, it was all over the news. Thousands of news outlets covered this. All the credit card companies decided to cut ties with Pornhub once that spotlight from the New York Times was on them. And um, anyway, there's 200 victims currently suing Pornhub. So they are in like, you know, there's seven major lawsuits for litigation class actions. Um, we've been providing therapy to any victim um, who's come to us and connecting them with the, that legal service. Anyway, this has entirely changed how people even view pornography websites. I had people saying to me, so wait, do you mean to tell me that on the porno watch, like, there's no way to verify whether she's consented to be there or there's no way to actually verify that I'm watching an adult, not a 16 or 15-year-old girl who's made to look older? And I had to tell them, like, no, that there, there is no way to verify. And we actually both... We had people telling us in person and communicate, contacting us, telling us like this was the, the kind of wake up call that they needed to, to get free from form. It was mm. almost like the conviction, um, it, it humanized the people, the real people behind the screen and they could no longer um, partake in, a, in an industry that was so exploitative and some people are like well porn sites it's free you know so how am i contributing to an industry if i'm not paying to watch this content every time you even go on a website a porn website you're contributing because the more ad clicks they get the more clicks and traffic they get the more they money they make from um from ads and it's that they just care about web traffic that is their, their primary goal and that was partly why they had so much content uh, because the more content, the more ad clicks, the more traffic, and um, and so I the very few times I've ever had to go on Pornhub for work have been just so devastating to me. And I remember looking up a lot of the most like violent terms for another organisation that was raising awareness about the violence in porn. Hmm. There was over a hundred thousand results for the term waterboarding. Um, all these violent like. Things that are illegal to do in in, in in real life, you do it with a camera in the room, put it on a porn site, and it's suddenly protected by all these free speech laws. And I think that um, yeah, so for people to understand that there were real trafficking victims, real underage victims in the porn that they were seeing on even the most mainstream porn sites, um, I think has been a major connection for people and understanding uh, how. Porn is
0: exploitative. Yeah, can I just pause here for a sec? So, yeah. I, I think what you just mentioned is really powerful because um, you're right. I think a lot of people can say like, "Well, Helen, you know, I've watched porn, but I haven't actually bought it or engaged with another person that way physically." But um, that is a really powerful connection that you've just drawn because really, the minute that you even search for it in Google, even just to give it like the the traffic on Google you're supporting everything, everything about it. The The videos that are inappropriately being uploaded, the acts of aggression. I think it was raised on porn that said 35 to 40 percent of all porn has, has acts of violence and aggression in it. It was something like that, um, like absolutely staggering. And you can't, uh, we would love to think we could just tease apart the certain parts of it that are okay and not, but it's all encompassing and um, that's really powerful. Now I know there's I think there's two other facets of it as well, right? That link porn and sex trafficking. Can you tell us those ones as well?
1: Yeah, so we um we've actually made a, a documentary series that will be coming out this year called Beyond Fantasy. And this documentary, uh, my my boss kind of went undercover in the porn industry a few years ago on a series of trips where he interviewed people in the porn industry, directors, producers, former current performers. Uh, mostly in the in the LA-based porn industry, and so these are uh, this, this is what people most commonly understand as porn. Even though the majority of porn is actually uploaded, like I was saying, the vast majority on on Pornhub. By the way, they deleted ten million videos. They deleted eighty percent of their whole website at the end of the year. Um, so the fact I think that was a real eye opener for people. Like, oh wow, eighty percent had been completely unverified. That's insane. Um, yeah, that's a lot. And they, they blamed us in their statement, which was, um, I was like, screenshot, thank ah. you, Pornhub, you just gave us the credit for doing that. Um, but the, the idea of um, women being coerced into the porn industry and then coerced on set. So um, there was a, a partner channel on Pornhub called Girls Do Porn. They were on Pornhub for many years. Um, so Pornhub had like a lot of different partner channels. And this, um, this particular case, uh, over 50 of the victims have sued this channel for for trafficking. They were basically hmm. um, under the impression that they were showing up to a modeling photo shoot. Um, they were given uh, alcohol and were basically coerced during that set to um, to be in pornograf- pornographic videos that they had not um, chosen to be in. So they wow. just won a major, major lawsuit settlement um, against girls' do porn, um, there's a, a arrest warrants out for um, the the founders of that. And so, um, I've also worked with trafficking victims who showed up to um, porn studios, ha- thinking that they were going to a modelling shoot, had no idea, and were brutally um, assaulted um, in that in that studio. And you might think, well, you know. That, that's not sensible for a girl to show up by herself to a studio. A lot of these girls, they're, they're 18 years old. And like I know when I was 18, I did some naive things that I, looking back, I'm like, that was really dangerous. But at the time, I didn't even know that it was dangerous. Sure. Um, um, I have a personal friend who was coerced into the porn industry at age 18 um, with a series of mental illnesses. And she was... Um, Rarely sober in any scene. Uh, we have to talk about this whole issue of consent. Like true, authentic, mutual consent um, is not someone under, under the influence of drugs or alcohol when they're signing a contract. Is not someone under extreme coercion told um, if you leave this set now, um, you, you're going to owe like thousands of dollars because we, the whole, you know, porn crew, have all arrived and we paid money to be here today. Um, but then even the if, if a girl is is signing on a contract that she's willing to do act A, B, and C, but then on camera she is um, completely different sex acts to what she'd agreed upon are, are, are filmed, but she's already given her consent, she's already signed all the papers. Um, that frequently happens in porn, and we've had many survivors tell us that what was actually captured on camera was not what they originally consented to. But by that Mm. time, they feel completely powerless and out of control. And they can't in the middle of a porn set, be like, get off of me. This wasn't in the contract. Um, We had porn directors tell us on camera how their goal was to uh, capture the shock and the pain of women on camera to figure out what their boundary lines were, cross that, but capture it on camera. So this is like- criminal confessions that these people are making. Um, and we're still you know, finalizing the, the edits of, of this documentary, but it's gonna be the biggest um, pulling back of the curtain on the legal porn industry that we've ever seen. Human rights violations are being broken in pornography every single day. In, in, under international law, you can't consent to your own torture, but as soon as we put a camera in the room and call it porn, apparently that's okay the levels of wow. violence and um, just just so many horrors. Um, the, the, the film explores um, not only the extreme violence in porn, but also the barely legal genres. So the fact that America's only one of about 18 countries in the world that allow 18 year old girls to be dressed up as, as children, you know, with pigtails and uh, teddy bears and toys and depicted in a playground or made to look like they're very young. And that is projected as a sexual fantasy. That is absolutely um, taking porn viewers down the trajectory of being sexually aroused by underage girls. And we believe that this should not be uh, legal in porn. The porn industry is literally like the wild, wild west, has so little regulations. um, And we really want to bring about major regulations to this industry that's rife with exploitation. So that's another thing, I think, for people who... Think well okay i wouldn't watch the up, the uploaded content but you know the rich porn stars making like mega bucks in the porn industry they all want to be there they love being porn stars and that's simply not true um the real women behind the camera we interview them um, throughout the film and they tell the real story um i believe this film is like a glittering icing cake cutting it open exposing um the tarantulas of exploitation in this industry and my hope is that when, when this industry is so humanized, the real women, uh, the real faces, um, people will think again and they'll understand how um, you cannot believe that, um, that gender uh, equality between men and women should exist and watching porn is okay. Um, it absolutely is, is in a partnership and an agreement with an industry that exploits women um, in every possible way.
0: Yeah, that's such a big deal. Uh, we've had Brittany Delamora and Joshua Broom on the podcast in the last six months. And I, I think both of their stories are really driving home what you're saying, which is like, there's very little glam to what's going on. And I remember Josh specifically sharing about just some of the coercion he faced um, of like, well, you know, if you don't do this, then you won't get your paycheck, that kind of thing. And, you know, that's like how he was being treated as like, one of the top-rated adult film stars at the time so you can just imagine how people are being treated when you don't have that kind of clout in the industry and you've kind of more or less been lied to to kind of get into that position in the first place um devastating did we is, is there a fourth did we miss do we do we have a fourth one as well
1: um the fourth way that I think like I view the porn industry as a trafficker as an exploiter um, both of the people in the industry but also um, of those viewing it most people who watch porn begin watching it as minors. Um, 22% of minors who begin watching porn is begins at the, under the age of 10, according to one study. Hmm. And, and um, the average age of first-time porn exposure is between 7 and 11. Um, it, it, there's evidence to show it's getting younger each year with the earlier uh, access to smartphones. And so the way that a lot of children um, who are now adults have told us that they experienced childhood exposure to pornography as like a neurological rate. Like they were assaulted with sexual images and videos that their brain had no idea how to properly um, discern what was taking place, but they became addicted to it. We see the porn industry, this whole dynamic as equivalent to heroin dealers going around elementary school playgrounds and injecting kids with heroin because that's right. how addictive pornography is and children are being exposed. Most porn sites do not even have a click if you're over 18 button, which you know we believe isn't adequate enough anyway. There is no proper age verification measures in place to protect children from accessing pornography. So that is a major current campaign of ours with the Protect Children Not Porn campaign. We have a petition where um, we're gonna present before Congress this year, and we are um, really advocating for age verification policy um, to enforce that porn sites, um, uh, a government ID has to be put in. And if you have to show your government ID for buying tobacco or alcohol, porn yeah. sites should be the same. Yes. Um, it wouldn't be the porn sites keeping that data. It would be a third-party app. Um, the technology already exists. But we just believe these porn sites have to be held accountable. And a lot of people are struggling with years of addiction from something they were exposed to as a child. They were a victim of exploitation from the porn industry. And I think a lot of people carry so much guilt and shame about their porn addiction. That that shame needs to be turned into um, like indignation and anger at an industry that preyed upon their innocence, that found a way to reach them, that wanted their lifelong subscription and to get money out of them and has no qualms about the fact that children are accessing porn sites every day. Like Pornhub, a couple of years ago, during 2020, they literally had a meme on Twitter of Baby Yoda with the Pornhub Reflections in Baby-O-Desires and it said 10 minutes after my parents leave the room and it was like a wink wink nudge nudge we know all you kids are watching porn and I was like you have literally just put your cards on the table that you think it's funny that kids are watching porn and you have no problem with it um, yeah. so, so to me the porn industry is a predator it is um, exploiting children and harming children and that is a part of this whole conversation that we have to pay attention to as well
0: Wow! Yeah, that's that's really really eye opening. So it's quite interesting to me because obviously we kind of know there's like it it feels like a monster almost when like when you really pull the covers and you see what's going on behind the scenes. It's like it's it's totally daunting, right? And our entire societies uh, around the world are inundated with this monster, right? That is like you said, like at a very young age, I was exposed to porn at 11 years old. Even as you're talking, I'm connecting dots of like. Yeah, I did. I never really thought of it that way, but it's true. Like they did, they they were doing nothing to stop me. I think you could you could just click a box to consent that you were eighteen, but obviously none of that's being checked. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you guys are on a mission to abolish sex trafficking, and I guess I'm curious what what does that look like? What does that entail uh, in the next you know ten to twenty years? What, what are you guys really focused on?
1: Yeah, um, great question. I think that. <sighs> You know, William Wilberforce abolished the slave trade and abolished slavery um, in a very you know, systemic way um, in the 1800s. Um, it doesn't mean that, that slavery did not continue to exist. Um, so we know that there may well be slavery and sex trafficking on the earth for a long time. To us, abolishing it looks like what is the legislation that is closest to being able to abolish this injustice and how do we pass it in every country? Um, so the, the Swedish Nordic equality model that I mentioned at the beginning of this call, for us, if every nation adopted that law, um, that uh, you know, criminally held buyers and traffickers majorly accountable, but really offered exit services to women and um, to help them leave this industry. Um, so for us, our kind of next ten to twenty years is really focused on helping different nations pass that campaigning. Um, raising awareness about the harms of sex-buying. We've made a documentary about that as well that will be coming out in the next year or two. And we have a few different yeah, films in, our, in the pipeline. Um, and so there, there are different efforts even within the States to pass uh, full decriminalization, which you might have heard, even um, the comedian John Oliver the other day did a whole section on why, why the US should fully decriminalize prostitution. And most people don't realize that that actually includes sex buyers and third parties. So pimps or brothel managers would be just managers under this law. So anytime you you hear the term all decriminalization, it's similar to legalization, except the government wouldn't have oversight and taxing, basically removing all regulations on the most dangerous industry on the planet. Um, they basically are like, we, we just don't want the police to be involved. And it should be business between two consenting adults. But that, you know... It is not the reality of of prostitution. It's rife with exploitation, and their um, sex buyers are not like removing the criminal aspect of it only normalizes it. If you compare like Sweden, when they passed this law 20 years ago, and then the neighboring country of Denmark, Denmark has seen a massive increase of trafficking victims. Sweden saw a massive decrease um, by by 50% in the first year, um, even more in, in following years. And what it did as well is it changed the mindset of understanding if there's money exchanged in a sex act, that's inherently evidence of coercion. Um, it's, it's putting it on the coercion spectrum, um, the, the, the rape spectrum. Obviously, uh, you know, we, we use that word um, claim to make that prostitution is paid rape. But like I said at the beginning, if this one person is only consenting to the money to either give to her pimp or out of financial survival and desperation, she does not want the sex. And consent, we take very seriously in our cult, current culture and country, and I'm really glad about that. In the, yeah. the dynamics, the power dynamics of Me Too must be applied to prostitution. Um, so for us, because there's already a lot of evidence showing the success of the Swedish Nordic model, um, that's... If we, if we head in that direction in the next 20 years, um, we also feel very sober about the agenda to fully normalise prostitution, make, you know, the, the sex work agenda of sex work is just a job like any other, um, the normalisation of the commodification of, of women in our culture through websites like OnlyFans, and you know OnlyFans is kind of the tip of the iceberg, but I have a lot of concerns with how it's this like pimp-like pyramid scheme. The CEOs of OnlyFans take 20% um, that if if you recruit someone else, you can make up to 10% of their earnings. So it's definitely got pyramid scheme aspects to it. Wow. Um, The average income on OnlyFans is only $183. Um, So it's actually only the top 10% um, who make uh, 73% of all money on OnlyFans. Um, And in the meantime, it's this hyper capitalist website encouraging young girls. Um, to capitalize on their own sexuality. And there's just so much risk for for women um, for that. So just from a cultural perspective, we want to be having conversations around, like, what is true gender equality? Like, we want to see the perspective of Sweden here in the US. Um, We do not want to see in the next 20 years prostitution to be normalized. Um, So that's kind of um, where we're going with that. Like I said before, Sex trafficking is one pathway into prostitution. You can't talk about trafficking without talking about prostitution.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's really powerful. And I, I think it's what's been amazing is like, I, I feel like for me in the last 10 years, I have seen different people who have taken on this venture in one form or another. They're against sex trafficking and they're doing their part and every little bit counts. But I think... What's been amazing uh, about Exodus Cry in particular has been, like, uh, especially the last few years, the article with Nick Kristof and um, just some of the some of the waves you guys have made is like, you guys are really doing this stuff. Like, there's legitimate things happening, and um, I, I think that that's not what what you just articulated for the next ten to twenty years. To me, that doesn't sound like a pipe dream at all. Like, to me, it's only a matter of time before you guys are really doing these things. Um, so, I guess my my maybe one of my last questions here is what can somebody do to to further the cause? So I think the obvious things I'm picking up at least are number one, stop watching porn. Obviously, that's the reason this podcast exists and that's a huge part of it. Um, stop fueling the industry. Uh, I know a lot of your endeavors are on a legal front, um, kind of more litigious in nature. So obviously, uh, I know people maybe can't, get in the courts themselves, but they can certainly be supporting the campaigns. I made a donation this week myself uh, because I, I believe in what you're doing and I, I know that's a small way, but uh, have, what have I missed? What are other ways that we can support you guys?
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, I, like, I genuinely believe that for someone to make the decision to stop watching porn is like reclaiming their sexuality and taking back ownership over the, the narrative. Um, and it's the most like powerful place like you can't fight sex trafficking while watching videos of sex trafficking videos every night like that you have to start fighting it in the place of your own heart and your own bedroom your own devices um I feel like educating yourself on porn like you mentioned our film raised on porn we put it on YouTube just a few months ago it's um a 35 minute documentary it's already had over two million views and it's um you know looking at porn from the, um, the public health crisis aspect. But I think it's it's so helpful for people to um, continue fueling their personal fight against porn by understanding the harms of it. We've got a book coming out also called Raised on Porn. And um, when that comes out, like we spent eight years writing it, kind of pu- pulling together some of the most comprehensive research on the planet on porn. Like what is the one resource on porn we would want to recommend to people? We've put all of that in one book.
0: Wow. Um, so when that
1: comes out, um, I definitely encourage your viewers to to watch that. We have another film called Nefarious on global sex trade and trafficking that's also on YouTube. We have a film called uh, Liberated that Netflix bought. So that's on Netflix and we just released on our YouTube channel after uh, Liberated after Spring Break. So we toured that film on Netflix, Liberated, to college campuses across the U.S. and the U.K. And the two main characters in the film joined us for the tour even though one of them was a guy who was kind of almost the, the villain of liberated with sleeping with girl after girl and kind of the embodiment of like a toxic masculinity, but mm. he's gone on an incredible, profound transformation journey and is now like the embodiment of of a healthy, restored masculinity. And so wow. um I really encourage like Liberated liberating looks at like the intersection between hookup culture and, and rape culture or a society where rape is happening at um Uh, huge um, huge levels especially on like college campuses and spring break film takes place during um, spring break it's a documentary so i just encourage people to watch our films and we have a lot of information on our website if you have instagram follow us there on uh, instagram exodus fire and i i know i think a lot of people when they find out about trafficking there's that like fire and fuel of like what can i do how can i help And I always encourage people, like, take a season to really educate yourself because that is actually one of the most valuable things you can do so that whenever this topic comes up in a conversation around a dinner table with your family, on an airplane, with an Uber driver, with some old friends, um, or any type of other situation in the workplace, you can intelligently, articulately talk about trafficking. You are armed with knowledge. You're not just believing the latest conspiracy theory online about it. Um, and you're actually able to educate your own sphere of influence and maybe you know maybe there might be more things you could do you might be able to host a screening or a workshop or do a significant fundraiser or really get more involved in a volunteer-based way but I just think whatever someone's job uh, whatever they're called to do you can use your own skills and callings and influence to um to further these important conversations so we would love to have anyone join our movement and start tracking with us and you know, we couldn't do this fight without you know, the, the people that support us and help us do this. It feels like the honor of my life to have this job. Um, and I know that, yeah, the first thing I did when I found out about trafficking um, after ordering a those couple of books online was I found an organization um, to to support even just like $15 a month when I was a student. So yeah, even small ways to keep your heart connected to this topic. Um, and lean into the the education. The number one book I would recommend on on trafficking is a survivor memoir called Paid for, by a survivor called Rachel Moran. That's M O R A N. I've read 50 plus books on this topic, and her book uh, personally impacted me the most. Um, but yeah, feel free to reach out to us. Um, we're, we're available to to um, you know, if anyone has more questions, and just Yeah, thank you for opening up this conversation and for your work, all your day. You're in the restoration sphere. We're in the kind of prevention. Um, You know, we want hundreds of thousands of less kids to ever be exposed to porn.
0: Um, And
1: we we want you to be um, out of a job. I want to be out of a job, you know? Um, (laughs) And that's that's a healthy perspective to do this work, I think.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, one of the things I wanted to add is a lot of our listeners are dads or desire to be dads. And so I think it's important, this is not just about you, like this is about, we're talking future generations here. And as movements like Exodus Cry continue to gain more traction, have more impact and really protect the the children uh, of our current society and certainly the future children, um, that's like massively impactful. Like we're talking about multi, multi, multi multi-generational impact as you guys keep furthering your journey. Um, One last question for you, a little bit more personal, but I know uh, like what you guys do, this is not easy work. You guys are, you're public facing, you're making a bold stance against something, uh, well, a lot of things that are considered commonplace or even normal, I'm just wondering how, how do you find it? And is it, um, do you have to keep reminding yourself of those early moments in 07 or as a 16 year old girl where God kind of birthed this passion? Or do you wake up excited about it every day? I'm just curious, what's it like and how do you handle some of the opposition you guys face?
1: Yeah. I mean, if we didn't have opposition, are we even really making a difference? <laughs> so <laughs> I think opposition is to be expected. It's definitely increased in the last couple of years as there's been more exposure. And some of that is kind of nasty and can feel personal, um, but I think we have a real turn on perspective on all of this as well. And we we actually pray for our enemies. One time, we turned the whole office into a prayer room. Every wall was covered with paper, and we put different um, you know, things we were praying for. And one whole wall was was enemies of like journalists who've spoken out, written hit pieces about us, um, wow. people who made up lies about us in the media, like all kinds of. Um, you know, things that we had to walk through that forgiveness process, but we really wanted to keep our hearts um, untainted. Like you can't have any type of like bitterness or offense during this work. So I think um, that the biggest enemy can come from um, within when you allow like your heart to feel hopeless about um, this. I think, I always want to do this work with joy, with hope, Um, and I really do feel like we're seeing change being made in the world. Um, I don't often feel discouraged. I feel a lot of courage. I feel a lot of zeal. Like I I had a lot of random different jobs in my life before working in this field, and I I know what it's like to not really feel any type of purpose in work. I feel so much purpose in this work and so much um, life, and this sense that we are exactly where we're meant to be, fighting the fights that we're meant to be. Um, I, Of course, take self-care really seriously, and I think I always encourage people, like, fill your life with things that are beautiful, that bring you joy, that inspire you. Remember all the goodness in the world. Be outside in nature. Connect to the transcending, um, you know, the mountains, the ocean, and realize that we're, we're small, you know, small people doing a small part, Um, We're not the only ones on the front line. There's many other incredible organizations around the country and the world fighting this fight alongside us. And I think, like, the power of collaboration is really how we get things done. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's so much more I could say, but I feel like, yes, we do want prayer and support. And, yes, there are days that are really hard. But for the most part, um, I want to be doing this work the rest of my life and fighting um on the front line um you know with with all the years i have left on this there
0: yeah yeah well you're doing an incredible job thank you so much for taking some time to share this with us today uh, we're cheering you guys on and uh, i am legitimately excited just to see what god continues to do through you guys in the days ahead so thanks for being here helen this was awesome
1: thank you so much and um yeah really appreciate you having me on to talk about this so um all the best with uh, your podcast your work and um, Yeah, it's really inspiring to um, to talk with you and um, see more about your ministry as well.
0: Thank you All right Well, that was my interview with Helen Taylor and I hope you got as much value from that as I did Like I said, I, I just thought especially the four ways she talked about how porn impacts sex trafficking and how it's linked That was really interesting. I I learned a lot from that because there's obviously some ways that are obvious, and there were some that I just would not have thought of. Guys, this is a sobering topic. Let's just not kid ourselves. Like, we're we're talking about really heavy things here. I want to encourage you, maybe sit in this moment for a a minute, especially if you've been watching porn. I know this kind of hits home. It's like, geez, that's that's what I'm fueling. You know, that's what I'm supporting. You're not a terrible person, I don't want you to beat yourself up about this, but I want you to really just experience the gravity of the interconnectedness between porn trafficking and the lives of women and children around the world. Take it in, my friend, really, really absorb it, and I would encourage you as well, go donate to these guys. Like This is good soil to sow in, and whether you have a couple bucks or or maybe you do have some more funds to play with to invest into these kinds of initiatives, I can assure you, your money's gonna to go to a very good cause and it's quite likely that down the road you'll see a return on it. We put a link in the show notes to a particular petition that these guys are really advocating for right now and that's to protect children um, to basically from porn websites so that porn uh, websites will require age verification. Very easy way for you to make a contribution here and do something about this And, you know, maybe maybe a good way to get the ball rolling. Again, I don't think you making a huge donation is going to free you from porn. Um, Don't try to logic yourself into freedom. But um, this might be a way of saying, okay, I'm serious about this and I am going to support a good cause here. Uh, This is at least one step in the right direction. And we put their their website in the show notes as well. It's just exoduscry.com. So if you do want to find out more about them or maybe get your hands on some resources, they obviously do screenings at local churches. And we've seen big churches uh, around the world screen their film Raised on Porn, which is really eye-opening. Links are all there. There's tons of great resources, tons of things I'd love you guys to check out. And I hope you do so. Without further ado, though, I want to thank you guys for listening. I wish you an incredible day. And I'll talk to you very, very soon. Take care. Bye-bye.